0: If we haven't met yet, my name is Jared, I'm on staff here at the branch, and kind of some of the things I do, I lead our our setup team who does a great job, they're in here, uh, Sunday morning setting up, getting the gym ready, Uh, so thank you if you were a part of that this morning, looks great. Uh, I also lead our our leadership pipeline, which is just kind of our program that equips and disciples other people to uh, work in the church, to go out and do things, and you know, other type of administration type things that I handle. Uh, but just one, one quick announcement before we get in this morning. Uh, next Sunday, July 30th, we're going to be having a group leader training. Uh, that's for anybody that's interested in uh, leading a family group, men's or women's Bible study, uh, that kind of thing. If you're interested in learning more about how to lead a group or if you're leading a group, then, then come to this. Uh, we're going to be going over how to lead a discussion, uh, how to help people get involved in your group. This is going to be next Sunday, right after we pack up the trailer. Uh, and we will have lunch and childcare as long as you sign up, right? So the sign-up link should be on our website and out through our emails. So uh, make sure you sign up for that if you're coming. So right, so let's go ahead and open up to Exodus 39 this morning. Uh, and so this morning is, is special as we're we're getting close to finishing our study on Exodus. In fact, in my Bible, if I turn the next page, I go to Leviticus. Um, So we're getting very close to the end uh, here. Next week will be our last week in Exodus, so hopefully that's exciting. Exciting to go to Ephesians, but maybe not to be finishing this one. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. We're going to read section of Exodus 39, and then we'll go ahead and jump in. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and just letting us gather I pray that you will teach us much about who you are and uh, what you have for us, and that we learn much about you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the main point for this morning is that God has made us his chosen representatives. Through Jesus, we have been made into his priesthood to represent God to the nations and to minister and serve to one another. And so, uh, as we read through Exodus 39, I kind of want you to pay attention to this one particular phrase that's repeated over and over, and that's, has the Lord commanded Moses? So you'll see that pop up, and we'll kind of talk through that when we get there. Uh, But let's go ahead and start reading Exodus 39, a little bit of a chunk for it. So, from the blue and purple and scarlet yarns, they made finely woven garments for ministering the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine-twined linen. And they hammered out gold leaf, and he cut into it threads to work into the blue, and purple, and the scarlet yarns, and into the fine-twined linen, in skilled design. They made for the ephod attaching shoulder pieces joined at its two edges, and the skillfully woven band on it, as if it was one piece with it, and made like it of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine-twined linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses." They made the onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold filigree and engraved like the engravings of a signet, according to the names of the sons of Israel. And he set them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod to be stones of remembrance for the sons of of Israel, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the breastpiece in skilled work in the style of the ephod of gold, blue, and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. It was square, and they made the breastpiece doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth when doubled. And they set it in four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle was the first row. In the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. In the third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They were enclosed in settings of gold filigree. There were twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. And they were like signets, each engraved with its names for the twelve tribes." And they made on the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And they made two settings of gold filigree and the two gold rings and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And they put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. They attached the two ends of the cords to the two settings of filigree. Thus they attached it in front to the shoulder pieces of the ephod. Then they made two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And they made two rings of gold and attached them in front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it should lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod and that the breastpiece should not come loose from the ephod as the Lord had commanded Moses. He also made the robe of the ephod woven all of blue, and the opening of the robe in it was like the opening in a garment, with a binding around the opening, so that it might not tear. On the hem of the robe they made pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. They also made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates, all around the hem of the robe, between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the Lord for ministering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. They also made the coats woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, and the turban of fine linen, and the caps of fine linen, and the linen undergarments of fine twined linen, and the sash of fine twined linen, and blue and purple and scarlet yarns embroidered with needlework as the Lord had commanded Moses. They made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, Holy to the Lord. And they tied it to a cord of blue to fasten it on the turban above as the Lord had commanded Moses. I really hope that's the last time I have to say fine twined linen. So uh, we've got this picture of the priestly garments. It should be up right here. Um, so if you can see it, I'll kind of explain some of it uh, just starting from the top and going to some of the more inner garments. The most outer one that you see with the stones and the red colors, that's the ephod, that's the first thing they would wear. Uh, and then under that, you've got that blue robe, that's what's got the bells and the pomegranates, so that as they would go into the tabernacle, the, uh, the people would hear these bells ringing. Uh, and then under that, you've got that linen garment, uh, and that's kind of what separates the rest of the garments from the priest himself. And then finally on top, you've got the turban and that crown. And so that's what, uh, exactly what the, the um, priestly garments were to look like. And they were very intentional in their form. Uh, they were made to be beautiful. They were made to be full of detail uh, so that when the people would see the garments, when they would look at the priests, their thoughts would automatically be pointed to God. They would be uh, reminded, they'd be given this image of um, what they were supposed to think about God, what their thoughts were to turn to. And it was this cool, uh, like, physical representation of God among the people. And so right away what we see from this is that uh, that the purpose of the garments were for ministering in the holy place. And this is kind of a loaded statement. If you've been with us the whole time through Exodus, you, you probably know what this means. But if not, uh, the last few weeks we've been kind of studying the tabernacle Um Again, another picture I hope nobody's tired of yet, picture of the tabernacle. So the most holy place is this uh, box-like tent that's to the left of the big box-like tent structure. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of what we're talking about. And this most holy place, that is where the priest would go, and only the priest, because the rest of the people weren't allowed in here. Um, they would go there to intercede for the people, to, to offer sacrifices and, and to see, um, be in the presence of God. And this is where the ark, the, the ark of the Covenant was kept, uh, and this is where God would dwell. And so every time the priest would put on this garment, the people would know that he was going into the most holy place uh, to intercede on their behalf, to serve them, and this clothing would remind Israel that it was, it was time to worship God, that this is what was going on. Another plain observation that we get from this, this text and this picture is that the garments were made to be beautiful. Right? They were made with very precious material. They were made with fine detail. And all of this was to showcase God's glory and his beauty. So if we saw this back in Exodus 28, uh, when God gave the instructions to Moses, he specifically said, make these garments for glory and for beauty. And this was to show, again, another picture uh, of God to the pre- people. So uh, when the priest would go out, the, the garments that they would wear were were the same garments, the same material that they would use to uh, make the tabernacle. So it's like they were wearing the tabernacle on them. And so when they would go out among the people, the people would see uh, the tabernacle basically being with them. It's dwelling with them, and it's uh, among them. And it was, uh, again, this physical reminder of, of who God was and what he was like and what he was doing for them. And they were much more than just like this physical picture of well, as well. Uh, the garment showed the people of Israel uh, that they were being represented to God uh, himself. Right? Remember, uh, the people of Israel not being allowed to go in, they'd need to stand in. They'd need somebody to go in for them. And so when the priest would go to make this atonement in the holy place, he had to bring them along, but he couldn't exactly do that. They weren't allowed in. And so the way that they did this is that they would have uh, these stones, right? If you remember, it talks about the, the gate and other, other words that I don't exactly know what they are. Uh, and so on each of the, the tribes of Israel had a stone that would go on the priest's garment. So one, inter, uh, one, one stone for each of the 12 tribes so that when the, the priest would go before God, he was intercessing for the people. He was bringing them before God. And so the role of the priest was not just to uh, be this physical representation of God to the people, but it was also the, vice versa. He was representing the people to God. And so it was kind of like this bridge, this connection that he had where he would go between God and the people. Another thing that we see about the garments is that it was holy. Um, and the garments showed that the priests, their services, and the people of Israel were to be holy. Holy. And this was not just in the crown, right, because the crown had the inscription, Holy to the Lord, but it was also in the sanctity of the garments. Uh, w- one of the fun things that we get at our house is a lot of junk mail. Uh, and this week we got a cool piece of junk mail. It was from like a, a Christian church supply company. So we're flipping through, just looking at it, all the things you can order, and they had a whole section where you could order um, I think they called it like priestly garments or holy robes or something like that, right? And it was the, the fancy hats that other denominations wear and the fancy robes. Uh, I thought about ordering one, but I thought that might just be confusing. Um, but they had all this stuff that you could just order from a magazine. And that isn't what the, these garments were like. The garments that are described in Exodus 39, they were special. You couldn't just order them. They were made specifically for the ministering in this holy place. They were set aside. And it was for this holy purpose of going before the Lord. And it showed that the priests, the Levites, that these people, that they were set aside for a holy purpose. They were, they were to be dedicated completely to the service of God. And so uh, to understand kind of the the function of the priest, the garments help us see that. I I used to have a professor that would talk about, you know, the form would lead, help us figure out what the function of what this body part would be. So if you would study something, you could kind of understand what it's for. So if you're looking at a sledgehammer, right, it's got a big heavy head and a long handle It's for smashing things. You look at a pane of glass, it's very delicate. It's not for smashing things. That much is obvious. And so we kind of see that same picture here through the priests, right? Uh, the, the beauty, we see the glory of God through it. We see uh, the sanctity, how set apart they were. We see that they were there to represent the people. And so while they were glorious and while they were good and helped the people understand God and reminded them to be holy, uh, and these are all good things that the garments and the tabernacle were for, but it was still an incomplete thing right? People didn't have access to the inner chamber. They didn't have um, access to the, where God would dwell. They had to offer these sacrifices year after year, day after day. And they were all just pictures and reminders, but not the real thing, and that's where the garments would fall short. Uh, but thankfully, that's where Jesus comes into the picture, right? So turn your Bibles with me to Hebrew 9, and uh, we're going to be in verses 24 through 28. You can keep your Place here. We'll be coming back to Exodus in a second. It should also be on the screen behind me, Hebrews 9, verse 24 through 28. And it says this, "'For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf.'" not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so Jesus, being the better high priest, who is not just this picture of God, but the very image, the very nature, this very representative that God sent himself, he came not just to remind us that God is glorious and beautiful and holy, but he showed us through the perfect life he lived, right? He came and he lived perfectly so that we can know who God was, He sacrificed himself and he died for us so that those who believe that Jesus is Lord can finally enter into this holy place, that they can finally come before the throne of God. And it's not only, um, it is only through the blood of Christ that we can become clean, that we can be forgiven of our sins. And so it's cool to have these garments in this picture, uh, but Christ, who is much better than these garments and the other priests, is the one that we should cling to, and He's the one that returns, uh, who will return to save His people. And that's, that's the picture that we have. So when we look at the tabernacle, when we look at the priestly garments, we shouldn't just think that this was um, a, a bad thing. We shouldn't just be glad that we don't have to offer these sacrifices, but we look at this to base our Theology and our ideas about who Jesus was and what, what they all pointed to. They, they all pointed to ultimately Jesus coming to fulfill the picture that God had given his people. He would be the one that would ultimately come to save, save us from our sins. And so, Christ being this image that we are called to follow after, uh, we are be, to be like him. We are to follow him. And he gave us the perfect picture of how we are to be like the priest, right? So, uh, real quick, flip over to 1 Peter 2. Um, it's just a couple books away. If you get to 2 Peter, you've gone too far. I've always wanted to make that joke. Nobody left. That's okay. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So uh, one of the verses that we've kind of sought to memorize in Exodus is um, God was taking his people, he was taking them to be holy, saying, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he told them that he would make them a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. And so when we get to this section in Exodus, it almost feels like that vision is being put on hold, right? Because he, he establishes a priesthood, so they're no longer a kingdom of priests, they have priests. And so it kind of feels like it's almost being put on pause, this vision that God had for creating a nation completely full of priests. And so, again, and this was just to show us the picture of looking to Christ for the fulfillment of all these things— and so, uh, in the same way that the priests were to represent and show God to the nations, uh, we're to follow on that same path. We're, we are to uh, proclaim Him to the nations. And it's only through Jesus that we can do these things, right? We're to minister, we're to serve one another because we are the royal priesthood created in Him, in Jesus. And so, this is, and this is a calling not just to whoever might be on the stage this week, but this is a calling for, for all of us, right? It's a question of... Um, how do you show God's beauty? How do you show his glory? Are you? How do you represent God to the world? Who can you serve as this royal priesthood? Your family? Your friends? Your co-workers? Person sitting next to you? And so that, that's the question that we get here of how, how can we look like the royal priesthood? How can we continue like this? And just only through, through Jesus that we can hope to do these things. So let's keep looking at Exodus 39, picking up in verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. Then they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its utensils, its hooks, its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases, the covering of tanned ramskins and goatskins, skins and the veil of the screen, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table with all its utensils and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold and its lamps with the lamps set and all its utensils and the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the screen for the entrance of the tent, the bronze altar and its gratings of bronze, its poles and all, it, all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court its cords and its pegs, and all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priest. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed him. So at this point, Israel has created everything that they needed to worship God. They've got the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of God would be. How they would be constantly be reminded of their provision and the work God had done for their people by the the, uh, the manna that was kept in there, by the uh, the broken tablets that they had. They had the altar of incense where the priest would burn this instance, showing the prayers of the people being lifted to God. The golden lampstand that would light the work for the priest so that they would always be ready to intercede for the people. The table that would hold the bread of the presence, representing again the people of Israel, the 12 tribes there with God. The tabernacle that would show the holiness of God. The basins where the priest would wash themselves to be clean so that they can minister The bronze altar where sacrifices were to be made for the atonement of the people's sins, where a fire was always kept burning, ready for the people. The courtyard where the nation would come to worship and be near the presence of God. And finally, the garments of the priest that would represent both God to the people and the people to God. That's a lot of work, a lot of resources, a lot of time. And it shows just how much they committed their their time and their resources and themselves to God, how they believed that he was worthy of it all, and even how desperately they wanted to dwell with God. It showed how much they treasured him and believed him when Moses said that he was good. And so throughout this last passage, right, we kept getting that refrain, as the Lord commanded Moses, and it's repeated ten times, just over and over And it shows just this necessity of listening to exactly how God uh, instructed them, exactly what God wanted them to do so we don't get it wrong, right? So think back to how Israel first tried to create uh, something to worship, right? Think back to the golden calf, this first idol that they did. When they took away the instructions of God and listened to themselves and said, this is a good thing for us, they created a dead statue, right? just something that they could bow down to and dance around or whatever, and that was the extent of what they had, something that uh, inaccurately represented the glory of God. And this was something that they, they created out of their own idea. Right? Moses uh, went up the mountain in Aaron and said, Give me your gold and fashioned it after, after something he created. And that's all it was. But when they listened to God's instructions, they created something much better. They created a place where they could worship. They created a place where they could come and dwell with God. They created a place where they could be reminded about His nature and be forgiven of their sins. By doing what God had intended them to do, Israel ended up so much better off. Right? And that's kind of the picture that we get for ourselves. When we do not fear God, when we listen and trust to what we say ourselves, we, we end up getting something like Israel. We get something of our own creation, something dead and empty. Empty works that do not reflect accurately the glory of our God. But on the flip side, when we make it all about creating, all about this good work, uh, that, that they were told. If Oholiab and Bezalel, the guys that made the tabernacle, if they had come back a year later like, hey, we got this idea, let's add on an extra wing to the tabernacle, an extra remembrance wing, let's turn this basin into a swimming pool. Uh, when they start going too far, uh, they, it start, stops becoming about uh, worshiping God and giving things to God, and it starts becoming worship of the good works. And Suddenly, uh, the good works become our God. Right? And that's the difficult balance of the Christian life. You do too much, you fall into legalism. You don't fear God enough, you fall into antinomianism. Right? And I say this not to um, discourage you. I don't say these things to say this is difficult to just get up, give up, but to encourage us not to rely on what we believe is right, not to count on our own instructions and the own blueprints we might make, but to hold fast to what God has told us to do. Uh, hold fast to the right instructions that Jesus is our, our great high priest. He will always intercede, uh, trusting God and his instructions and trusting his spirit that will always guide us on how to follow God's commands. And we get to the conclusion of this, this chapter, and this is one of those few times that Israel gets things right, so it's cool to see. Uh, it says this in verse 43, and Moses saw all the work and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so they had done it. Then Moses blessed him. And this last verse is very reminiscent of Genesis 1, right? They, they had this created act. Moses saw it. He said, and he blessed them, and he said it was good. And the first time I read that, I kept looking like, where's the part where it says it was good? It just reminds us of what happened. And it points us back to this, this created order that God had given them. And we've talked a lot kind of about the order of how these things um, happened in Exodus, right? So we had uh, the people of Israel were freed. They were redeemed. They became God's people. Then they were given commands. And then finally, when they followed them, when they were obedient to them, then they received the blessing. And that's this this order of things that we get from God. First, He redeems us. First, He makes us His own people. And then we follow Him. We're careful to follow all of the instructions He gives us. And then He blesses us, right? And it's not all about this blessing, because this blessing is a presence with God. It's knowing God. That's the blessing that we get. But it's not all about this. It's about knowing that what God has called us to do is good, and that following Him and knowing that He will bless us because He is a good Father who cares for His people and wants us to please Him and do these things that's exactly what we should strive for, right, at the end of our life, to hear that refrain, uh, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? That's what we're called to do, to try to follow and do as he has commanded us to do. And so as we, we kind of wrap up and we start coming into this time of communion, uh, where those that follow Jesus, we can take the time to remember and reflect all of the blessings that Christ has given us. We take the bread, we take the juice. We show that Christ's body was broken for us. We remember what he has done. We show his blood that was shed for us. And so uh, some of us will be off to the side if you want somebody to pray with, to to speak about these things. Um, But I just encourage you that if you need somebody to pray with, we'll be over there. Um, So I'll pray for us, and communion is open when you're ready. Father, the things that you have given us and provided for us are so good, and the instructions that you've given for us and told us we see are good as well, and all lead to you. And I pray that just as we we go out this week that we remember that um, you have set these things for our good and for your glory, Father, and that we, we strive to be your royal priesthood, to represent who you are to the nations, to show your glory and your beauty. I thank you for the death of your son, for, for how he came to live and die for us, and how he, how he rose to continue interceding for us. I thank you for these things, and I thank you for, for your church and all that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.